Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. The topic today is multi-channel fraud, and we're talking with Diana Kelly, partner with Security Curve. Diana, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. Now, you've recently written a white paper about multi-channel fraud. I wanted to give you just a second to tell us a bit about yourself and about Security Curve. Okay, sure, thanks. Well, I'm an 18-year veteran of IT and security, and I have a broad range of uh, experience, including being a manager in financial services consulting at KPMG, a general manager at Symantec for a startup development team, and most recently I was the vice president and service director at the analyst firm Burton Group for their security and risk management strategy service. So it's, it's a you know, full background of actually having worked with vendors, worked as a an SI and, and doing systems integration inside of large organizations as well as, you know, looking at it from the, the analyst point of view for research. And bringing that all together into Security Curve, which is an independent research and consulting firm that provides strategic guidance to end-user companies and vendors. Now, you've just written this white paper on multi-channel fraud, so my question for you is what types of fraud are you seeing in the financial services marketplace? And then talk about multi-channel in particular, please. Well, it's interesting because they're actually very intertwined, as it were, because a lot of the fraud that's going on is, in fact, multi-channel. It may not always appear to be multi-channel, though, and that's the catch, because if you think about, especially the larger financial services organizations, the numbers of ways to get into the, the system to look at information, you can actually have a, a, a fraudulent uh, transaction occur that may appear to come from one channel. Phone, for example, is one channel where there's a lot of, of rise going on. It's been reported in the media. It was backed up with my talking to financial services companies about what's going on, what they're seeing. So phone fraud is, is definitely on the rise and trackable, but sometimes that phone fraud is actually fueled or by fraud that's coming in from other channels, for example, online. So what attackers are really trying to do is two things. One is to increase their intelligence so that when they go and execute an attack, they have more information so they can make that attack a little bit stronger, a little bit better, for example, knowing you know, when you get your, your paycheck or when you get that bonus. That's, that's knowledge that's useful to an attacker. They know how much is in that, that account that they could potentially remove, unfortunately, but that's what they're trying to do. The other thing that the attackers are doing with the, the multi-channel is that they're trying to make it hard for financial services organizations to understand where that attack is coming from. So if you break it up, it can be more difficult to understand what they're trying to do than if you're going through only one specific area. So um, it's sort of similar with when you see attacks online. What we're seeing is a, a rise in password stealing software, for example, but then nobody's quite sure, well, how is that password stealing software being used? Is it, in fact, being used to get into accounts and move money? In a multi-channel attack, you could steal a password that appears to go through one channel. You get online, do that reconnaissance work, know how much information there, or how much money is in that account, or get information such as even, in some cases, credit card numbers, and I can explain that a little more if you'd like, but then go off and then make the attack through another channel, and then tying that all together is, is where it really becomes very difficult sometimes to know, you know, from all those different points of, of, of getting into the information, what the attackers are really up to, or that it's the same attack line from one, one particular attack group. Now, one of the things that was interesting in your white paper is you actually outlined the anatomy of an attack. Could you sort of summarize yeah. and give us kind of the profile you're looking at there? 
Yeah, this is actually came out of an interview that I had with one of the financial services firms I, I spoke with, and they did approve use of that attack um, without mentioning the name of the financial services firm. And what happened in that attack was exactly the kind of point that, that I, was, I had found was, was happening again and again, so it was a good good summary. And in that case, it appeared to be an offline attack. So it was a, an attack where an order came through for transfer of money, and, and the approval came through on a fax. So you would see that as, as although we know faxes are digital, right? that doesn't count as being on the Internet. That looks like an offline attack. So at first, that institution thought, well, this is, is your kind of off, offline attack. But as they went back through and looked at all the activity on that particular account where the, the fraud had occurred, they realized that the attack had started much earlier than when that fax got transferred. The attack had started back in the online account, but what the attacker had done on the online account did not appear fraudulent because they weren't flagging for that level of activity. And it was activity, and you might say, well, shouldn't they have been flagging? Well, not necessarily because the activity was all reconnaissance work. So it was logging in. It was an understanding how much money was in the account, so how much you could transfer without um, you know, cleaning the account completely blank. They knew what was there so that they weren't going to over-transfer. And they could also see things such as signatures. And then the signature could be used on a fax to make it appear as though it was a legitimate, um, you know, a le legitimate request for the for the, the transfer of the the funds. So as they went back, they realized that what looked like an offline attack was in fact actually a combination online and, and offline attacks, so a multi-channel fraud. What scary stuff? I know <laughs> it was actually pretty. It it was a, a little bit of a scary research project because you do you hear about this quite a bit in the, in the media, but to go through and actually talk to institutions to hear what's going on. And I actually, you know, looked at my own account, and that's actually how, as I was saying, um, credit card information. I, I did find out that in some cases our, our banks, because they're putting, our, we often have savings accounts with banks now that we have some sort of a credit card with as well, and, and some organizations are actually putting your the PDF of your credit card uh, statements online, and guess what? That's one of the few places other than your credit card where you see that full 16-digit PAN. So I'm hoping that the, that's at least one one attack entry point. They can at least erase the, you know, just block the, the beginning of the, the full-digit PAN on our statements. Now, given the economic times we're in right now, are financial institutions more vulnerable to fraud? Um. Because of what the, the economic crisis that's going on, would it make them more vulnerable? I don't think necessarily that the crisis itself, the, the fact that you know that they've done the the CDOs and the SIVs make them more vulnerable. But I think, however, could impact additional vulnerability is that one of the, the best things that a financial services institution can do is to stay on top of things and monitor at all times because fraudsters are always going to be attacking. So it's really about monitoring. And a couple of things are happening. One is that many financial services institutions have to slash their staff. And as they slash staff, that could mean slashing the people that are actually monitoring the reporting tools that they have telling them if fraud is occurring or not. So that could impact. You know, if you don't have somebody watching the store, right, then you could have a could have a higher impact or you could see fraud increase because of that. The other thing that's going on is that as financial institutions are 
essentially dropping like flies and merging and, and getting bought um, by other companies and being brought in, you're seeing a lot of you know, IT departments that are now absorbing a whole other large company. If you're Bank of America, you're looking at what do we do with Merrill Lynch's IT organization, for example. And as you merge, sometimes, and I'm not saying that Bank of America or the Merrill Lynch IT departments that this will happen, but sometimes when you do see big mergers of IT departments, some things can, can occasionally fall through the crack. It can be hard to reconcile the different architectures quickly so that you may find that there could be some vulnerability holes there for any financial services institution that's going through a, a big merger or an acquisition of another institution and trying to bring all of those IT and, and monitoring systems on, you know, into to one consolidated version. You know, it's interesting because I think that uh, I'm not a customer of Bank of America, but I'm receiving phishing emails from Bank of America now, you know, to the tune of, you know, you might be a new customer, you're coming over, and it seems like we're going to be seeing a lot of those. Yeah, well, I mean, the attackers are, you know, they're hoping, as I said earlier, you know, that somebody's not watching the store as, as these companies are going through the mergers and, and they're cutting, and some companies are cutting staff. So, yeah, they're going to they're gonna try. <laughs> they're going to try to exploit that. Now, it occurs to me, Diana, that one of the risks that financial institutions have to be mindful of is the insider threat. As you say, people are cutting staff, people are losing jobs, and, you know, there's a little more desperation. Have you ever heard of multi-channel insider fraud? That was actually not one of the things that I was researching specifically, but without a doubt, when you've got insiders, especially as they become disgruntled, that um, that's going to rise up as a potential. In, in hard economic times, you cut somebody's job. If they've had privileged access, it, it, some may actually opt to use that. So this is certainly a, a red flag and something that organizations should be aware of. And And, you know, again, Great monitoring is going to help, but also identity management where, you know, you cut off people's access. It's a little bit scary across all kinds of verticals that even with all the work we've done in identity management, how many times you run into somebody weeks, even months after leaving a company saying, hey, you want to see something cool? And they can still log in with privileged access to, to trusted machines. So you, that is definitely something that the financial services should be very, very aware of. Most of them do have very strong identity management and do have a very, you know, global across the board cutoff. But for any that don't, it's it's always a good time, but this is even a better time to make sure that that's up and running properly. Well, you raise a good point there. What are some of the other risks and vulnerabilities that institutions should specifically watch now? Uh, well, I, I do think that this multi-channel is very important, and that was really the, the, the point of that. the research, is that sometimes what seems to be innocuous behavior is actually just a reconnaissance mission. So you said, for example, that you're seeing increased phishing. And that increased phishing, you know, being able to tie that back to, is this actually now resulting in increased reconnaissance work, and is that ultimately you know, resulting in increased fraud. So I think that that's, that's absolutely major. We've got the red flags from that uh, coming out soon. I think it's November 1st is when the red flag goes into effect. Exactly. So, com so companies looking at that and being more aware of things such as, you know, I mean, in red flag, they're talking about address changes. And people might say, well, does that really matter? But that's a core to, it, it, it seems potentially not, it's 
potentially innocuous. It's something that many of us do multiple times in our lives. We legally, legitimately change our address, yet it's an underlying piece of you know, how you can begin an identity theft attack. So I think that really understanding that there are many of these, these different pieces of information that people can either receive or alter that would lead them to be able to launch the bigger attacks is, is one of the most important things for FIs to look at. And a good thing to do would be to really tie them together. So as they are bringing organizations together or even cutting staff, look at being increasingly efficient about how they're tying the information together, making sure that the trading desk and if you have credit cards, that the credit card subsidiary and the, the banking subsidiary are all sharing information with each other so that they can tie together a suspicious activity on these accounts. One last question for you, Diane. In your research, what are some of the effective ways you uncovered that institutions are responding to in preventing multi-channel fraud? Well, they've all got a lot of really great tool, toolbox, which is, which is wonderful. Um, and monitoring is, without a doubt, one of the things that, that organizations use in order to find out that this is that fraud is going on. So in in credit card transactions, for example, they've got very good algorithms to identify, does this look like Tom? Does Tom usually use his credit card this way or not? So um, continuing to use those kinds of, of tools, they've, we've seen because of the FFIEC strong authentication guidance, we've seen a great increase in what they're doing to prevent you know, simple logins. Just stealing your username and password may not be enough for, for logins, whether they've added you know, complete two-factor or what I think of as, as partial two-factor when you get mutual authentication with they, they want to mark you so you know it's really the site. You don't log in and give your, your, your credentials away to, to the wrong site, hopefully, to an attack site. But also being able to do a little bit of, of additional factoring on whether or not you are the legitimate user by understanding things such as, you know, what's your IP address, where do you usually log in from, what time you usually log in. So that although just because you've logged in from a different machine doesn't mean you're fraudulent, but if you start adding up lots of different pieces of information, then you can start to see that this doesn't appear to be Tom's. So this is when you go with your credit card, you actually have a, a fairly recognizable pattern of how you use your credit card. We're finding out that you know, there's a fairly recognizable pattern of how people access their bank accounts and what they do online with them. That makes sense. Diane, I appreciate your time and your insight today. Oh, sure. My pleasure. We've been talking with Diana Kelly, a partner with Security Curve. The topic has been multi-channel fraud. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.